You don't seem like you want to record. Right? I don't want to record. <laughs> okay, this is the only day we have to do it. So. I told you I don't want to record twice already. Oh. I would rather be throwing snowballs at overheating droids on Star Wars The Old Republic. <laughs> on Nar Shadda. Uh-huh. Welcome to Chronically Narnia, the podcast in which my co-host and I discuss the Chronicles of Narnia chapter by chapter, and today we are discussing chapter 13 of the book Prince Caspian. This chapter is titled The High King in Command. Uh, I am a daughter with one foot in the grave and a dastard, also known as Kristen, and this is my co-host, Lord Glozell. Also known as Chris. Hello, Lord Glazelle. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the podcast. I have some schemes in mind. You're not. You're not so pespian. No. You're uh, Glazelle. Yeah, I thought you were going to be one of those, so I was oh. prepared to be either one. No, I um. actually had a different one that I was going to say that I forgot. Like I wrote down mine. Mm-hmm. Um. But then there was something I thought of as I walked into the room to sit down and record. I was like, oh, I should use that one. Mm-hmm. And, and and then I lost it entirely. And it was just an adjective. It was something like, and I'm tired, you know, but like it was it was something from in the book. You would have broken like, our podcast system. Like, and I'm lily livered. <laughs> You're just playing fast and loose with those rules, aren't you? I mean, at no point were they rules. They're traditions. <laughs> They are traditions, and your expectation of that tradition is what would potentially lead to you know, your as, disappointment. As an American, rules and traditions are the same thing. Um, <laughs> no. And if you'd like to hear more about my thoughts on this, you can listen to the other podcast I do. Uh, in our episode tomorrow, we will be talking about uh, traditions mm. and expectations and holiday blues. Fascinating. Yes. Um, that, yeah, we're... that podcast that I'm going to plug at the end of the show. Okay. Uh, we're in the home stretch here, Kristen. This, uh, we're doing this one. We've got two more chapters in this book. Then we're going to have our guest episode, and we can move on to book five. Yes, uh, we can. We're coming into 2021. Uh, I believe I've done the math correctly, and next year we finish this series. Do we? Yes. I have to go we... count chapters. <laughs> I, I am pretty sure the end of next, like before the year is out, should we'll finish be, it. Should be. If 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 all of the remaining three books are 15 chapters, we'll mm-hmm. finish it in 2021. Yep. Excellent. Crazy, huh? So how do we open this podcast? Well, when we start the podcast, we usually give a summary of the chapter. So as you and I are reading through the chapters, Chris, we, we, um, we choose some sentences yep. out of the chapter. Five, in fact. Five, he says. Yeah. As the uh, rule-holding traditionalist that he is. <laughs> and uh, we choose five sentences out of the chapter, pluck them out of context, and try to tell the chapter's story in a much-abridged version. Mm-hmm. Um, Man, we should have called it that, and like, we should have called it that to begin with. What? Narnia abridged. Narnia. Like, that's a, that's a great segment name. Hmm. Anyway. I, too Chris, late. So, uh, Narnia abridged. Would you like to give your summary first? Sure, I'll go ahead and do that. Uh, minus as follows. You say, Caspian, we are not strong enough to meet Miraz in pitched battle. Very well then, said Peter. 
I'll send him a challenge to single combat. We beseech your majesty, said Glazelle, but Moraz had flung out of the tent and they could hear him bawling out an acceptance to Edmund. There was a great stirring at Aslan's howl when the news came back and was communicated to the various creatures. I mean, I suppose you can beat him. All right, we have three sentences in common. Wow, okay. I wasn't, wasn't, I wasn't expecting, expecting that. that it's, uh, at all. The structure of this chapter is very odd. We'll get to that, but go ahead and... All right, here we go. Very well then, said Peter. I shall send him a challenge to a single combat. By then, Aslan may have done something. <laughs> we beseech your majesty, said Gazelle, but Moraz had flung out of the tent and they could hear him bawling out his acceptance to Edmund. I mean, I suppose you can beat him? That's what I'm fighting him to find out, said Peter. There you go. Uh, yeah, it was it was a hard chapter to summarize. Indeed. Uh, because, like, so much of it was, um, I don't know, uh, context-dependent conversations, like little short lines that don't really work uh, as scene setting. There's a page and a half of this chapter, at least in the you know, the size book that I have that is just a very verbose letter that Peter dictates. Did you notice that that's only, like, one sentence, though? Yeah, like the whole thing. I, I, ex I honestly expected you to use the challenge <laughs> sentence letter. Like, no. I very much expected you to just sit here and read that very verbose letter. Oh, man, I don't like the sound of my own voice that much, I don't think. Um, <laughs> so here's what happens in this chapter. We open up, uh, we... We're just off the end of the last chapter where we have Peter and Edmund. Whoa, 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 whoa. This chapter comes right after the last chapter? Well, sometimes there's a time skip. There's no time <laughs> skip here. I'm just establishing that. Right after the end, we have the War Council and Peter and Edmund and Caspian and all of them sitting in the stone table room still discussing their plans. After breakfast. After breakfast, and they're just like, they still haven't regrouped with Aslan and the others yet. Like, for all we know, this party's still going on. Like, for all we know. Like, there's death and destruction happening inside the uh, inside the mound, and Aslan's just still like, Hey, Bacchus, how's it going? And, like, living it up outside. Um, yep, yep, yep. But we're discussing this, and we come to the conclusion that there's no way we can defeat Miraz in, like, a fair battle. Just can't do it. Don't have the forces, don't have the manpower. We just ain't gonna happen. And we do that by having Peter say, So we can't beat him. Like, Caspian, and Caspian goes, yep. I'm sorry, but that's true. And he's just tongue-tied. Literally tongue-tied. Mm -hmm. Oh, I mean, he's meeting one of your idols, it happens. Like, he's, you know, this mythic figure to Caspian. So it makes sense that, like, sitting there talking to him is kind of a trippy experience. And, like... I just think that it's funny that he replies, like, Nope, we can't. Sorry, my lord. And yeah. and and then the sentence after that is, He was quite tongue-tied. Yeah. yeah <laughs> no, no, understandable. And so Peter comes up with the idea of being like, well, it's a long shot, but the only option we have here is to challenge him in single combat. Like, that's that's pretty much what we got, because we can't beat him fairly. We're not going to surrender, so. So what you're telling me is this is the story of David and Goliath. Um, sure, why not? Which um, is what I have always thought, based on that artwork, mm -hmm. the cover art that I grew up with being the cover art for this book. Mm -hmm. that I showed you early on and we've already posted on the Instagram. Mm -hmm. um, I have always pictured that in the story of David and Goliath, that artwork yeah. from this book. Yeah, I get you. And we established that Caspian 
can't be the one who does this. Like, Caspian's like, I want to avenge my father, and et cetera, et cetera. He's injured. And, and Peter's just like, nope, you're injured. I'm doing it. Take in charge. Uh, chapter's called The High King Command, I guess. That's, uh, this is where that comes from, huh? Yep. Uh, so he's like, comes up with this plan, and then he's like, all right, well, even if it doesn't, even if that it doesn't work, phone. gosh, it's always something, always, always something. You'd think we haven't done this 60 times. Um, and he's just like, all right, even if this doesn't work, we're going to, you know, gain some time because we're going to waste a whole day sending messengers back and forth and like, apparently. Maybe Aslan will have done something by then. Yeah. And apparently Moraz is honorable enough that he's not going to you know, start anything or try to attack when there's messengers afoot and parlay, uh, which doesn't necessarily seem in line with Moraz's character thus far as it's been presented. He seems like the kind of shifty guy that would take advantage of that, but... Oh, very true. Um, whatever. Uh, so Peter turns to Cornelius and is just like, you got a pen and paper because I don't do my own letter writing. (laughs) He's like, I'm gonna dictate this. Well, he (sighs) asked for a pen and ink... Mm-hmm. And like, oh yes, of course I've got them. Mm-hmm. All right, then I'll dictate. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And this is like Lewis's self-insert into this chapter. <laughs> and Peter goes on to dictate this very verbose, like single-sentence-long letter that you know is very flowerly, flowerly and uh, eloquent, and just takes entirely too long to actually get to the point. As. Uh, as, as it should be. And anybody who has a copy of this book should just go read it. I'm not going to read out the whole thing in the podcast. What? but <laughs> That's an uh, utterly, <laughs> utterly disappointing sentiment. Uh-huh. Would, would you like me to read the entire thing? No. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, sends this letter out, and the only thing that I think is really uh, worth pointing out in this whole letter is his greeting, where... He calls Moraz, uh, son of Caspian VIII, sometime Lord Protector of Narnia, and now styling himself King of Narnia. Greeting. He's like, I feel like if you're trying to get somebody to parlay, opening up with an insult isn't, like, the best way to do that. <laughs> but also, I really like the end of it where he signs off in the first year of King Caspian the Ten. Yeah. Like. <laughs> <laughs> it's a thing. Not, you're no king no more. Oh, also, uh... At the end of the letter, we have, I think, the first mention in the entire series of any kind of timekeeping in Narnia. Yes. Because we say this is the month of Green Roof. And yep. we haven't really established, like, months or names of days of the week or anything. Uh, but this is the first time. True. Uh, so we know there is a month of Green Roof. We don't know how many months there are or it's how many the, days are in a month. Or... It is currently the 12th of the month of Green Roof in the first year of King Caspian the 10th, though. Yeah. Which tells us exactly where this all falls. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, and there was one more thing. Sorry, I guess there was a few things in this letter that I thought was worth pointing out. Because okay. in this uh, in this chapter, we do get uh, kind of a lot more little peaks and windows into some lore uh, of Narnia that we haven't seen before. And something here in this letter is we talk about Peter as being uh, knight of the most noble order of the lion. Yes. And then we refer to Edmund as being Knight of the Noble Order of the Table. Yes. So. So we have some noble orders in Narnia. Yeah. It's like we have different, like, realms or legions of knights, and they have, like, I don't know, I thought that was intriguing. I I agree. Uh Uh-huh. And then all these titles that Peter and Edmund both have, 
some for some reason Edmund is Duke of the Lantern Waste, uh, which we've referred to a lot of times. We've never gone there. Like even we we still haven't heard from the squirrel. Yeah. Like he's still out there. Like who knows what happened in the Lantern Waste? Maybe he's dead. Like maybe maybe something <laughs> did get summoned back up. <laughs> maybe it's like we've referred to it a bunch maybe of times. Maybe the horn called uh, to Uncle Andrew. That would be a twist, wouldn't it? That'd be fun. Uh, and, and he is here to be a werewolf and try to help bring the blue fire to summon up the witch again. Whew. We're not in baseless speculation yet, I'm Rosanor. Sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Jumping the gun. You are. Uh, yeah, all these titles, and it gets kind of a window into, you know, just this lore that we don't really hear a lot about. Does a bit to expand the context of the world of Narnia, and I, I appreciate them doing that. Uh, even though we never find out anything else. Uh, so we draft this letter, we send it out, and we're going to send Edmund and uh, Glenstorm... And Wimbleweather. And Wimbleweather all together to parlay in the camp. Trumpkin really wants to send Reepicheep, which, I mean, Reepicheep gets snubbed a few times in, in this chapter. And it, it's, it's, it's kind of sad. And, like, Peter's just like... No. They won't see him coming. They won't see him coming. Uh, but that's what you want. Like, you know, if I were Peter, I'm just saying, yeah, said Edmund in the center or whatever, but send Reepicheep. Like, make it seem like it's just Edmund in the center and, like, the mouth scurries in. Like, nobody in the Narnian camp is, or in the Baraz's camp is just going to, you know, assume that this is anything other than a common mouth scurrying about if they see him. I don't think anybody in Moraz's camp is going to notice Reepicheep scurrying about. Uh, and, like, this is the perfect opportunity for him to go in and gather intel and hear what he can. No, and... no, no, no. Not, that is dishonorable, and <laughs> our, our good kings wouldn't do that. Is it, is it dishonorable yes. to find information? Yes. It is when you are going under the guise of parlay in order to discuss terms for a surrender or for a, uh, combat. Mm-hmm. But then, like, where is that line drawn? Because, like, if Edmund goes in with this thing for parlay, and Edmund happens to come back, and it's just like, well, yeah, I saw they had, you know, this many archers. I just happened to notice they had, you know, this many regiments, and this is where their their lines are set up. Yes, and, like, if it happens to convey that information. But any of that information <laughs> the enemy knows that they gave to you <laughs> by letting you walk in when, or escorting you in in the way that you were escorted in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, and then we introduce two new characters to this chapter. We have a couple of lords who have very fancy hats in this illustration I have of them in my book. Oh, I don't have an illustration uh, of them. I'd love uh, to see. They have, they have great hats <laughs> <laughs> with some frills and whatnot. That's great. I like their capes, uh-huh, too. And they're wearing capes. Uh, and we have Lord Glazelle and Lord Sepespian. Yes. Who are some interesting characters. Uh, and they're just walking about, and they they look at Edmund, and they're just like, mm, "Now there's a man." Yeah, they're very much, and we and we have an acknowledgement from Lewis in this chapter that even Edmund's friends at school wouldn't recognize him because Aslan had breathed on him, and there was an air of greatness around him. Mm-hmm. And but we also need to note the ages here. Because we have them fighting against this child king. Mm-hmm. And like in everything I have found, Edmund is like the same age or a year younger than Caspian. Yeah, he's like 11, 12, something in this, uh, in this book. 
Like, he's he's younger than Caspian, and they're talking about him as a knight. Yeah. They're calling him a knight. They're calling him a great knight. They're... This is a fell warrior, I warrant you. Yes. It's like they're they're talking him up, and they're just like, well, you know, this is the caliber of uh, of warriors they have over on Caspian's side. Maybe we uh, were not as secure as we thought we were. Uh, anyway, he comes in, and then we have this whole uh, scene play out where Glazelle and Sepespian come up with this plan. Yes. Uh, and they are, I don't want to call them usurpers, but they they are trying to come out ahead no matter what happens here. Yes. And so they are kind of rivals of Mraz, and, mm-hmm. but, but like formerly they helped place Mraz on the throne. Mm-hmm. So these are some that had helped put Mraz into this place and feel no gratitude from Mraz. Mm-hmm. And so at this point they're like, well, if he accepts a challenge to combat, Mraz will either win and will be done with this stupid battling, mm-hmm. or Mraz will lose, mm-hmm. in which case we still have the superior firepower and we have the leadership ability to rout the enemy and you and I, Sopespian and Glazelle, we can, we can rule. Mm-hmm. And it's like we can get our due because Mraz never made us yeah. uh, feel his gratitude. Yeah. Even though they're lords. Like, mm-hmm. it's not like there's something else Mraz could have given them. Yeah. Other than, like, more land. Like, they have their lordship. Like, mm-hmm. what what else do they want? They, ha- they were lords to begin with. Yeah. I don't know what they're looking for here. Uh, but, you know, they think they can come out ahead either way. And they're, regardless of what happens with Mraz, they're obviously not the honorable sort who are just like, we're going to agree to the rules of, you know, single combat. Like, if he loses, we're still going to attack and we're still going to beat him. Yeah. So, like, I'm not sure how this is setting up the next two chapters, because obviously this isn't going to solve anything if these two guys are still around. Maybe, maybe not. Um, But anyway, they come up with this whole thing and they're like, we're going to go the king into this. Uh, and they reach Mraz's tent, and Edmund and his two companions are being entertained with cakes and wine. Mm, like, they yeah. get a, you know, I don't know how much wine uh, Wimbleweather could drink. I bet it's a lot. I bet it is a lot. <laughs> I don't know how much wine they want to let Wimbleweather drink. <laughs> I mean, he's already not the brightest bulb in the uh, chandelier. I don't that <laughs> one got, a, that got away from me. Um, tried to recover that. Well. I would say the brightest bulb in the box works just as well as the brightest crayon in the box. But. Yeah. Uh, that one, and then Edmund delivers. He's, you know... Well, uh, when they get there, Edmund has already delivered yeah. the le- letter, and Mraz is in in finishing his breakfast. Yeah. You you skipped over the part where uh, when, when Glazelle and Sopespian see... Edmund approach they are actively picking their teeth from their breakfast yeah I think that that is just like a character introduction note just to show like how seedy these characters are about to be presented as like you start with they're like sitting there picking food out of their teeth Mm -hmm. and then they start having a conversation Mm -hmm. and then they start plotting Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, that follows, like that tracks, like that. That is that is good character laying, just even from a visual like standpoint. 
It's picking food out of your teeth like a shifty thing? Is that like a... I don't think it's a shifty <laughs> thing in general, Like, but like to have this introduction of a character of just like this lordly dude in the big hat picking food out of his teeth like uh-huh. in front of his men who probably didn't have the delicious breakfast that he had. Yeah. You know, like... He, he just walks, walks into the scene being like, oh, what a great breakfast. I'm so glad we didn't have to eat bear meat and onions. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been terrible. A little bit, you know. <laughs> Um, so then Edmonds gets set aside. We go in, the two lords talk to Mraz, and this is the bulk of this chapter, is the conversation these two lords are having with Mraz, which, again, like I talked about last chapter, where where we had this really weird departure from the tone of the book as it gets, uh, like, super dark, and we have all this, you know, you know, intrigue, and, like, the werewolf showing up who seems out of place. The sorcery and sudden vengeance. The sorcery and sudden vengeance, and they're trying to bring back the witch. And it takes a super dark tone. And this one, we've shifted tones dramatically again into, like, this is political intrigue. Yes. Like, this is manipulation and, like, high cart politics. Indeed. And, like, I don't know. I I feel like, and I haven't read the last two chapters, obviously, and I don't know what happens there, but Lewis really should have taken all these ideas for, like, the last four chapters and just spread them out throughout the book. Because, like, if there was more of this, like, spread out, I think would have been a better book for it. Okay. Like, would have been a better story. And this chapter has, you know, made me think, again, obviously haven't read the, the last three books in the series yet. But this one is probably... Obviously. You don't say that like it's obvious. Well, Just It's only okay. obvious to the people who've listened to the Yeah, podcast. okay. If, if you're a new listener, I haven't read any of these books before besides Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Um... Also, if you're a new listener, like, chapter 13 of book four is a really weird first episode to get into. Um, I would say go back and, you know, at least pick chapter one. But I would say this is uh, the most, they're the best candidate I've found so far for a book to rewrite. Okay. And, like, if I'm doing my whole thing that I've talked about for years of taking one of the books and rewriting it as an adult novel, like, this is the way to go. Cause, like, this, is, this is the one you want to do. Yes, because, like, all the court intrigue and, like, the politics and whatnot, I feel like it would be easy to translate. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and I could do a lot with that. I definitely agree with you. This would be an easy book to translate into okay. a, uh, a, a... And then I'm just rewriting Game of Thrones. But... Yeah. Um... <laughs> exactly. Um... So we have this conversation where Glazelle and Sepaspian... But instead of dire wolves, you have bears. Yeah, could have, you know, bulgy, bulgy bears. bears. <laughs> those those paw suckers that they are. Yep. <laughs> so we had this conversation where Glozell and Sepespian are just like, well, you can't do it, obviously. You know, and they're very they're laying it on thick and they're very much like, oh no, it's it's, it's not your place. This this is beneath you. You know, nobody would call you a coward for not accepting this challenge. And, like, just very, very obviously goading him into this. Well, uh, and and Mraz calls them in for counsel about the policy of it, about mm-hmm. whether or not it's something that, like, policy-wise makes sense, mm-hmm. like, setting a precedent of this. And, like, they have martial advantage. Like, there's no reason for him to accept the challenge. So he's just calling in to be like, Policy-wise, I shouldn't accept this challenge, and I don't intend to, but, like, I just want your feedback. And they're like, oh, yeah, no one's going to think you're a coward. 
And he's like, excuse me? That's not... And then they're like, oh, no, 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 no. Like, a man of your age fighting against someone in the flower of his youth? Not To say nothing of the fact that it's a violation of policy. Mm-hmm. And absolutely, like you said, just laying it on thick in very much just like very... Uh, what do you call it? Reverse psychology, where they're like, they want him to think that everyone's gonna think he's a coward mm-hmm. if he's gonna back out of this challenge. Yeah. By telling him that no one will think he's a coward if he backs out of this challenge. Yeah. And it's effective. Yep. And uh, you know he's full of himself enough. Uh, he's got the ego for it. Uh, I think it. I do kind of want to linger here, and I'm not sure like what we really want to get into, but this is really the only place in the book where we establish any anything really about Mraz as a character. Like this is the most we ever hear from him. This is the most interaction with him we get, other than like very briefly in the first part of the book where he's like, "Well, that nurse is telling you stories, and I'm going to fire her." Yeah. Like we establish that, then we have him just be this distant figure that we know nothing about for the vast majority of the book, mm-hmm. and here. Like, on the eve of his downfall, I'm sure, like, we actually establish more of who he is and what he's about. Yeah. Uh, is there anything interesting about Mraz that we learn here, do you think? Uh, I don't think so. I think everything about Mraz, like, we already knew. Mm-hmm. I think just the ease with which they manipulate him is distinctly, like, not startling, but like, oh, wow, okay, like... <laughs> They really set him up, didn't get gratitude from him, and were not able to manipulate him into giving them what they wanted. Uh Like, when they can manipulate him this easily. Uh Like, they know him well enough to manipulate him this easily, and they haven't been able to get what they wanted from him already. Yeah. I'm a little confused by that. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's... I'm not calling anything a plot hole here. Uh, I do think... With with how arrogant we've established Mraz as being, I would say it doesn't even necessarily make sense that he is here in the first place. Like that, that he's he, on the battlefield. That he's it's, on that he's on the battlefield, or it's, like it's a matter of of principle and 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 stateliness and yeah. like right to rule. Yes, but at the same time, he seems like the character who could just be like, oh yeah, Caspian ran off, and he's gathering a bunch of like you know woods people and critters and ne'er-do-wells uh to try to challenge the, th- the throne but like who cares like unless he makes a move on me like and tries to come and you know challenge me at my gates or something yeah like, but why? they've been raiding villages haven't they like haven't the narnians been did we establish that i i don't know like i i feel like one way or the other like if they know caspian's alive they need to kill him otherwise he will continue to be a threat to morass yeah only if he can go convince like the other lords to follow him and like he has the right to the throne and if he can actually get power behind him other than like i know that there's a question of him being able to get power to himself but like at the same time miraz has obviously upset the people that put him in power Mm -hmm. so if he's done that then he might have a concern yeah that their loyalty would be flippy floppy and he'd be right to be concerned about that. Um, sorry, I'm just making sure there's nothing else I wanted to touch on here. Every time you do that particular um, you sound like one of the sound effects from uh, Mist to me. Um. Yes. <laughs> and that's all. I just thought I'd share that with everybody. Mm-hmm. 
there's a line here where Moraz is questioning their their loyalty and their manhood uh, to the lords, and he's just like, "Are you soldiers?" And my first thought was, I, "No, are they really? Like they're they're lords? Like I feel like they're not common soldiers. Like maybe they're generals." I think in the I looked into uh, their portrayal in the movies a little bit. They show up in the film Prince Caspian. They came out, you know. Mm-hmm. You're all talking those years about ago. the Disney one. The Disney one. Uh, and they're portrayed as like less like noble, like fancy men, lords, and more like hardened generals who are very like, I don't know. They're portrayed very differently in the film, I feel like, than the book. Okay. Um, but they, that would make more sense for him being like, are you soldiers? Are you telmarines? Are you men? Who yeah. are you, who are you? You know my my two top generals who have been leading this army to come and tell me that you know you're afraid of me to go and fight this guy. Um. And they call him old. <laughs> he's he says he's not going to be a dotard with one foot in the grave, dotard and a dastard. Uh, as you introduced we're, yourself as we're fighting that Jack and apes of a nephew of mine. <laughs> a lot of are fun you, words. Are you Lily Livered? We also have the intro of, of Glazelle saying that he would bet his dappled pommy, pommel, pommely. Mm-hmm. It's a horse. It's a horse. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> I was thinking it was like some kind of weird patterned hat. Um, <laughs> um, I mean, like a pompadour. Could, could also be a hat. Anyway, Mariah storms out of the tent after this whole conversation. He's just like, nope, going to show you. I'm going to accept combat. And, you know, the two lords stand there chuckling because they're like, ha ha, that was easy. Uh, and, and one of them says, but I will not forget that he called me a coward. It shall be repaid. So even if he wins, Mraz wins, he has now made an enemy of one of these yeah. sneaky little finger backstabby guys. Yeah. Which... I, I, I thought that one was like a, a turnabout as fair play kind of thing because he's like all upset that Mraz called him a coward when he basically just called him a coward in the yeah. tent. And it's just like, really? Like no one will think you're a coward, you know? <laughs> oh, you're a coward. Oh, well, you're a coward. Yeah. So, uh, news gets back to the Narnian camp that, you know, he's accepted and things are abuzz and we start picking marshals. And I didn't really look into this. Um, as to, like, what the position of Marshall really does here. It's like, maybe we should do research into that. <laughs> but, I don't know, but I feel like it's 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 judges and, like... Referees, making sure everything referees is... Referees and, yeah, like, Making I don't sure know. the fight's fair and nobody's... Yeah, having an unfair advantage or... Yeah, so there's there's three Marshalls for each side. And we're, we're picking marshals, and one of the bulgy bears comes back. Bulgy bears are a thing again in this chapter after having been gone for a while. Yep. I know a couple chapters ago I had asked what they were off doing. Uh, and one comes up, and he's just like, I'm a bear. I Peter's am. like, yeah, you are. Uh, yes, you are. And, and the bear says, uh, they have some sort of ancient right, and they, you know, they can demand to be one of the marshals in this thing. Which is like, they have right to be they, marshals. They have right, uh, which, well, I want to circle back to that, but I want to read this line first, which I thought was a good line that Peter says. I can't imagine how it has been remembered all these years when so many other things have been forgotten. Yeah. And, and, and that was good. And I was like, 
yeah, that's a really weird, like, ancient tradition to still keep around. <laughs> it's like, it's been a thousand years, but the bears, like, they know two things. They like to sleep, and they know one of them can be a marshal if there's ever a single combat situation for two armies challenging each other. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's it's such a niche thing for them to come up and be like, yeah, this is this is a thing. We have the right to do this. But, like, once more, <laughs> we have a moment of the animals remembering. Yeah. And this and is like, their job. This is, yeah, this is, like, the first time that we've had an animal, a creature, a talking animal that's not um, Truffle Hunter. Mm-hmm remember something and point something out as their right or privilege or something that should be done in a certain way because of the way it has been mm-hmm. the, what the tradition is yeah so this is like the first time that we have another one of the talking creatures saying something about how it is how it was how it should stay because we don't change us bulgy bears have this right and privilege yeah that's a thing. Um, and Peter agrees. It's like, sure, Trumpkin is very against this idea. He's like, these guys are going to embarrass us. They're, he he going to fall asleep and end up sucking his paw, yep. which apparently is a thing that bears do. Maybe. Um, I mean, we do have an illustration of that in my book. I would love to see this. Here, here you go. Trumpkin being very angry about him sucking his paw as he's telling <laughs> him not to do it. Um, and he's like, what do you mean? You're doing it right now. Which, I mean, I guess I've seen bears, like, getting into beehives and, like, pawing at some honey and licking it off. Yeah. But, like, I don't, I, don't, I didn't know paw sucking was a thing they were known for. Apparently um, it is. But that's a thing that it, even Peter says. He's just like, yep, one condition. Don't suck your paw. Don't, don't do that. You can be Marshall. And then Reaper Sheep comes in. Yes, and Reaper Sheep says, hey, I thought you would have sent me... Off on the mission to send the challenge. Yep. My people feel snubbed. Especially since, you know, among his people has the only trumpeter in the army. Yes. Like, and you should send a trumpeter as a herald along with a challenge. Mm-hmm. Apparently. And so he feels quite snubbed that his people were not included in the initial challenge. And we have a very political... A very polite society uh, response from Peter, which is to say that many humans are, uh, well, and Reepicheep demands to be sent a marshal, uh, a marshal mm-hmm. as, you know, a way to placate his people. Uh-huh. And, um, yeah, so we have <laughs> Peter trying to, settle Reaper cheap and not include him as a marshal which i don't understand why he doesn't include him as a marshal like i think Reaper cheap would have made a great marshal mm-hmm. but that's just me um peter's just biased against mice like has an issue with him maybe doesn't want him in his army <laughs> I, maybe but i doubt it <laughs> um no but we have we have a moment that really like okay like okay Tell us what happens, because I, I, I just have to reply to this story. So okay. tell us what happens. What does Peter say? Um, so Reepicheep comes in, demands to be marshaled because, you know, he got snubbed the first time. Uh, then Wimbleweather laughs very, very loudly at that and thinks this is hilarious. Um, and Reepicheep gives him a dirty look. And then Peter says, I'm afraid it would not do. Uh, some humans are afraid of mice. I had observed it, sire, said Reepicheep. 
and it would not be quite fair to Mraz, Peter continued, to have in sight anything that might abate the edge of his courage. There's a bear! <laughs> there is a bear that's going to be a marshal. And a giant. A bear! We haven't even established <laughs> that, that the giant's going to be one of them yet. There's going... The only marshal we know about so far is a bear. Mm-hmm. Oh, but it wouldn't do to have a mouse present because it might scare Mraz. Well, as we know, there are, you know, no humans are afraid of bears. That'd be silly. <laughs> We've already established that bears are scary in this book. We had one attack Lucy. Yeah. So, yeah, this is Peter completely BSing here, but Reba Cheap goes along with it. He's just like, yep, I'm, I'm pretty scary. I can understand that. Totally cool. Which uh, makes, which, like, and I've loved Reepicheep and his pride and everything and just, like, his showiness. Mm-hmm. But, like, this is the moment where it's, like, Reepicheep's kind of dumb. Uh-huh. Like. But then he challenges Wimbleweather. Yes. And he's just like, you laugh at me again. I got this sword with your name on it right here. Yep. <laughs> which is great. Um, so then we establish the marshals that are going to be the giant Wimbleweather, the bear, uh, who doesn't get a name, and Glenstorm. Yes. And they're going to be the three that are in Peter's corner or in this combat, and Edmund is just like, you can beat him, right? And Peter's like, maybe. That's, that's what <laughs> we're, gonna, we're fighting to find out. Yeah, I might be going to my death, might not. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Hopefully Aslan does something. <laughs> yep. Uh, and again, it, we have this whole chapter where Aslan doesn't do anything. Like, he has shown up in a previous chapter... He starts his little wood party, like, summons all the trees back to life, hangs out with Susan and uh, Lucy, who also don't show up in this chapter whatsoever. Their, their names are mentioned. Yeah, they get mentioned. Um, like, we can assume maybe Aslan and them are planning something and not just continuing to have this festival outside. <laughs> but, like, I have no idea. Which, as big of a part uh, as Aslan is supposed to play in the books, having entire chapters in the climactic sections of the book, like the ending where he does nothing and isn't even merely mentioned. Like, it's weird to me. Yeah. It, like, here we're in the climax of the book. Aslan came in. Like, he's ushering in this era of change. Like, he's on the move. He's going to do something. But not in this chapter. True. It's like, let's let's just hope he's making plans somewhere. Somewhere. Um, anyway, that's the chapter. Uh, anything that we should talk about that we didn't get to? Um, rivals, uh, the conversation was going exactly how the two, nope, nope, um, nope, I think that we've touched on everything, all of my notes at least. Kind of established Mraz, you know, a little bit more, talked about him. I'm gonna flip a page here. Mm -hmm. Paper shuffling. Talked more, yeah, and we talked about Mraz, yeah, I mean, I really feel like we've touched on everything here that I wanted to talk about. All right. We got two chapters to wrap this whole thing up. We do. The, and the can I read you the titles of the next two chapters? Uh, I know the other one is something, the next one is something like how everyone was very busy. How all were very busy. <laughs> uh-huh. The last chapter is Aslan makes a door in the air. <laughs> Just. Where's the door going? The biggest non sequitur ever. Yeah. It's like, where to? Where from? Why? Why do we not go back to the wood between worlds? Uh, the Pevensies haven't been to the wood between the worlds. Yep. All right, anyway. Uh, so we should go to a next segment. We should. Right. we should. Sorry. We should go into our next segment. I'm making an effort to talk more clearly on this podcast and not just sound like I'm drunk at 9 o'clock in the morning. 
Um, so our next segment is hashtag Narnia Chopped and Screwed. And in this one, what we do is we go back to the chapter, find five more sentences. Pull, pull them back the curtain here, folks. Uh, that's basically the, all of the prep that we do for this podcast ever is picking sentences out of a chapter. Yep. That's, uh, that's kind of what we do. Occasionally we do five minutes of Googling and research, but, you know, that's pretty much it. Well, that's why we chose these books, though, right? Yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, if we ever do more complex books, we might have to actually put in work uh, and do more than two hours a week into this, this project. So what you're saying is you want to keep doing children's literature, or...? That's, you know, that's what the listeners are demanding, as far as I've heard. <laughs> uh, anyway, we take five more sentences out of the chapter. We use them to tell our own story. Uh, again, this week, mine is pretty short and punchy. Uh, but I did my summary first. So, Kristen, if you'd like to do your rewrite first. Sure. Here is my rewrite from this chapter. Have you a pen and ink, Master Doctor? Yes, said the bear. It shall be paid for. I had meant to refuse it, but I'll accept it. Okay. That's just, all. Just, Someone's just, just trying to him buy going a pen on a shopping trip. Yep, yep, yep. yep. It's fun. It's a fun little vignette that you put together there. Thank you. Uh, you did use one of the sentences I used, which that almost never happen happens. Very often, yeah. Yeah. On a rewrite. Uh, but here's mine. Is as follows. I had meant to refuse it. It is your right, said Peter. I can't imagine how it has been remembered all these years when so many other things have been forgotten. Do you think I'm looking for grounds to refuse it? I'm afraid it would not do, said Peter very gravely. Gravely or gratefully, sorry. Gravely. Gravely. Um, uh, yeah, what's going was, on? Uh, I don't know. It was just a, a very vague, like, ominous-sounding scene that I came up with where, you know, Peter's talking to somebody else in the army about, you know, whatever dark task they need to accomplish to pull this win out or something like that. I don't know. It was supposed to be very, uh, very mysterious. Mysterious where, and foreboding? Yeah. That's that's all I was going for, really. It didn't really have a lot. Okay. Mm-hmm. So is that what you, like, interpret this chapter as, having a very ominous and foreboding character to it? Like, because it starts off with this whole, like, well, we need to do something, and hopefully Aslan will do something in the meantime. Yeah, it's just the... the and yeah, it ends with this very, like, well, you can beat him, right? Well, we'll find out. Yeah, just this whole attitude of uncertainty is what I was, I guess, pulling out of that. It's a very uncertain chapter. Where, you know, opening up with Peter's like, I'm going to challenge him in single combat. I don't know if he'll say yes. I don't know if I can beat him. Like, this is the one option we have. Like, if Aslan doesn't, you know, pull out some kind of miracle, this is our shot. Or we're going to take it. But who knows if we're going to win or not. So this very kind of, uh, this tense atmosphere of uncertainty. Yeah. <sighs> What's up in the chapter? Um, Cool. So do we want to go ahead and move on to our last segment here? Sure, why not? All right, I don't have a ton for this one. Uh, so our last segment that we do is uh, Baseless Speculation. And as, as I've mentioned in the episode, I have not previously read this book or most of the books in the series. And so I just like to take... You can't say most of the books in the series now okay. because... <laughs> okay, well, I have read most of the books. Prior to doing this podcast, I hadn't read most of the books in the series and so I like to take the information that gets presented in the chapter and come up with my own wild theories as to how the story should go. Most of the time I do a better job than what the story actually turns into. Oh, wow. Um, 
<laughs> but, you know, no one would think that you were a bad writer if you didn't write it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, so I don't have a lot for this one other than the idea that, uh, you know, I've been putting this whole thing together through the books that Cornelius is just like a mastermind behind this whole thing. Uh-huh. And he's at the very top of the Narnian resistance and like this was his plan. But I'm changing that slightly here. Uh, and I think we're going to put somebody uh, over him as I'm putting together the structure of this web, you know, this web of intrigue that exists, you know, backstage. As, uh, as someone who is well known for his disdain of political intrigue. Tell us more, Chris, <laughs> yeah, I'm putting, about the I'm, story you're putting together. You know what? I'm putting together this whole up. This is just me outlining the rewrite I'm doing of this book. Realistically, that's all I'm doing here. <laughs> like, okay. I'm going to go back and re listen through all these episodes and be like, oh yeah, and in this chapter, this happens. Uh, but in in this web of political intrigue, I'm going to put Cornelius right under Glozell and Sepespian. Okay. Because I think that they didn't come out of nowhere and they've been a part of this since the beginning. Yeah. Like, maybe they're the ones They're who, the ones like, who recommended Cornelius yeah, as tutor. Yeah. Like, they whispered that name in the ear of Mraz and they're just like, hey, we know this guy if you're looking for a tutor for your kid. And, like, they were in contact with him, maybe manipulating him. It's like, maybe, you know, they're playing both sides. They're double agents where they go to Cornelius and they're just like, we have an end for you to come in and, uh, you know, get Caspian out and bring down the king. Where at the same time, they're talking to Mraz and being like, yeah, this guy's, this guy's great. He's going to come in, you know, and they're, you know, their whole goal is power. Like, yeah, you know. As we established in this chapter, they're like, they're trying to come out on top regardless of what happens. And I think they're hedging their bets throughout the book. They're just like, maybe Miraz gets taken down. Cool. Maybe, maybe the Nardians take over. In which case we have an in with Cornelius and like we can, we can work our way into the, uh, the new power structure. Okay. Or maybe Miraz wins and I don't know, I don't know what their game is there. That's what I'm still trying to figure out. Like if it all goes wrong for them, like how do they still come out ahead? But uh, yeah, I think they're I think they're involved. Okay, okay. <clears throat> like this this sounds like a plan they've had for a while here in this chapter. I I see, and I I know that the whole point of this I know that the whole point of this segment is for you to kind of like speculate on on what could or couldn't be part of the story, but um, yeah, I think that you have just completely lost sight of Bacchus as a character and a potential background <laughs> figure okay. within all of this Narnian resistance. Like, mm-hmm. I I just feel like it's weird that this guy who could do anything, um, as they said about Bacchus, like, is, is not a character that you wanted to put some of this role and, and intrigue onto. Yeah. And I, I'm surprised, that's all. I'm just surprised. Well, I feel like you've completely ignored, like, a huge potential for speculation on on Bacchus and uh, and his associates well eventually as we go up the ladder you know we all know we're gonna end up at Tumnus like we're, we're gonna get there eventually no Lasarly. okay well I, I I hesitate to put her above Tumnus as like the mastermind behind this whole thing but we have established like very early on when we introduced Tumnus as a character way back in book two wink uh we established that him and Bacchus are familiar with each yeah. other like oh, he yeah. mentioned parties with Bacchus like they know each other oh yeah like so maybe there's something to that so we'll we'll get there we'll see what the next two chapters have in store for us okay but that's all I got if you want to 
close us out here. Well, thank you so much, listeners, for joining us today. This has been Chapter 13 of Prince Caspian. You can join us next week as we discuss Chapter 14, How All Were Very Busy. So <laughs> seems like it's going to be a very detailed chapter um, about all of the goings-on in the Narnian camp and other Busy beavers, perhaps? Do the beavers come back? No, the beavers are gone. The witch wiped them out. Obvs. And so we're going to have uh, our discussion of that chapter next week. Followed by, that will be our penultimate chapter for this book. And uh, maybe that's what the squirrel found in the lantern waste. Maybe somebody summoned the beavers back from the past. <gasps> Please. And- <laughs> Anyway, so thank you so much for listening. If you want to interact with us over social media, um, give us your own rewrites of the chapter or fan art of uh, Dr. Cornelius's pen and ink, you can do so at Chronically Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, at Chronically Pod on Twitter, or you can email us at chronicallypodcast at gmail.com. You can also um, contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash chronically podcast um chris any uh final thoughts i think i covered it never uh well until next time mm-hmm. never mock a man save when he is stronger than you then as you please and uh and remember not to suck your paws bye us to advertise you know i don't (laughs) i would rather be throwing snowballs Uh for life day Uh i know we haven't gone to the movies in a long time and you're unfamiliar with this concept of silencing your phone my phone hasn't been not on silent for about (laughs) since i bought it Uh uh-huh and does a bit to expand the world a bit, uh, kind of. Sorry, I'm going to redo that. Mmm. Now there's a man. I mean, he's already not the brightest bulb in the uh, chandelier. I know that <laughs> one got, a, that got away from me. Um, tried to recover that. Oh, what a great breakfast. I'm so glad we didn't have to eat bear meat and onions. That their loyalty would be flippy floppy. Really? No one will think you're a coward, you know? Oh, you're a coward. Well, you're a coward. Uh, because they show up in the film of the...